Do you like corn? Love corn. Do you like cheese? Love cheese. Do you like doing cheesy and corny segments like telling people not to treat this as legal advice? Actually, I hate doing that. But we have to do it anyway. And you have to listen to it. No legal advice. Bye. Bye. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostel Work Environment. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Dennis. We are in a very historical building, aren't we? We are. Yeah. We're in Studio B, which is Mark's office, but tell us a little bit about the building we're in. So I office out of a federal courthouse building. Yeah. Uh, It's the The Gus Solomon Courthouse, and it used to house the District of Oregon until the District of Oregon got too outsized for the Gus Solomon Courthouse and moved to a much larger, newer facility a few blocks away. The Mark O. Hatfield Courthouse. Yes. Named after our former U.S. Senator. Yes. Who was instrumental in getting the funding for the courthouse that he then stuck his name on. bears his name. Yes. Um, And this courthouse, it used to house, I believe, a post office. Uh, on the first uh, floor. In fact, uh, it was not that long ago. I've been to that post office. Yep, and they still have it. And it's all, it's all, it's kind of very Art Deco-y. Um, yeah, it's super cool. And this building, I think, dates back that far into the 30s, maybe 20s. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a very cool building. And now it houses like a weird mix of um, federal government agencies, um, nonprofits, uh, yeah. and a lot of like solo people, including... Obviously, myself and a number of other lawyers, but one of my favorites. Uh, I know where you're going. Is a buddy of mine who's on the same floor. He used to be right across the hall from me. Now he's now he's down on the other side of the building. Um, he's an achetier. Achetier. Tell right? us what an achetier. Well, if does. you know your French, and you, I don't, you would know that achetier would be having to do with archery. Oh. Right? Archery. Archetier. Archetier. I get okay, it. Okay. So he's an archer. No. No. What is it that re- is required for archery? Um, a target, a bow, a, a bow. bow. He's a bow maker, not for archery, but for stringed instruments. Very nice. And like violins, violins, cellos, cellos violas, basses. And he makes these guitars exquisite, if you're Jimmy Page. Yes, these exquisite, exquisite bows. And I've been in and I've been oh, wow. seen his studio a couple times and he shows me he's shown me quite a bit about how he how he sources materials and it's crazy and it's very cool and very beautiful. And huh. my one of my favorite things is um it gets a little bit TMI here, but you know, his office is right down by the men's room. Right. And whenever I go down to pee. I hear beautiful, amazing classical music coming oh, wow. from his office right across the hall. Um, it's kind of like your own fancy Japanese toilet. Yes, either because uh, he's got a classical music station on very loud while he's working or because he actually has a musician in testing bows. That's so cool. And it's very cool. Does, so, does like Charlie Daniels ever come by and like play devil went down to Georgia? Oh, well, I'll have to ask him. Yeah, you should ask him. Yeah. Um, another reason this building is super cool right now is that it is featured prominently in a very popular Netflix documentary. I've heard of that. Yeah. Wild, wild country. Wild, wild country. And it's funny, Mark and I, we were talking about this a while ago and it really 
highlighted a certain geographical and demographic difference between Mark and I. I grew up in Oregon, and I grew up in Oregon in the 1980s. And the biggest thing to happen in Oregon in the 1980s was the Rajneeshis and the Rajneesh Param incident where basically a religious group, some would say cult, took over a small central Oregon town. Like middle of nowhere town with middle like of nowhere 50 town, people. With literally 50 people and turned it into this massive religious center. And there was this big, huge political fight. Attempted murder was involved. Poisonings. Poisonings. It's brilliant. And I lived all of that. I didn't live in that town. It's called Antelope today. For a while, it was called Rajneesh Param. Um, I didn't live there. But if you lived anywhere in the state, that was huge news. But then I was talking to Mark about it. Like, hey, Mark, you should watch this show. It's all about the Rajneeshis. And you were like, huh? You mean, I'd heard about the show. I'd right. been told before that there's a show about a cult in Oregon, that, and I was, but I was like, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, uh, and I think there's two reasons for that. One is I I do have a, a few years less on me than Dennis, yeah. Um, so uh, I was probably not all that aware of the news um, around when this was happening. Um, but also, like I asked my folks about it, and they did not remember any of it. Um, and you know, wow. we were on the East Coast, and while. The documentary shows that it was clearly national news. It has Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, Ted Koppel, uh, quite a lot talking about what was going on in Oregon. Um, my guess is while I see that on the documentary as being a very condensed thing, it took yeah. place over a, quite a long period of time of four or five years. It did. And yeah. so it's not like a nightly news item. It and would it probably show up once every few months as like, a 30-second story on the nightly news, oh, I bet easy right. enough for somebody who's not here right. to really have processed it as a longer, significant narrative. But here it was front page but news here, yeah. every single day. And but it's a great documentary, and I t- totally recommend it to all of our listeners to check it out. And where I assume you were going with that, if yeah. I can be that presumptuous, is that it features this building. Correct. Quite a lot. Because uh, that was the functional U.S. courthouse back in the 1980s. And that's where all of the Rajneeshi cases were being tried and being processed. And so they took a lot of shots yeah. on the literal courthouse steps it looked right exactly outside of Mark's office. Exactly the same. Yeah. They even feature the McDonald's across the street, which I call the sketchy McDonald's. And it's, it, it's, pretty, it's, sketchy. it's pretty sketchy McDonald's. But that was actually – it played a part in one of their schemes where they were going to theoretically – Potentially murder somebody, and they were yeah, scoping they were them out. Murder the U.S. attorney. Yeah, and he was at the McDonald's, and yeah. then they didn't do it. But uh, I was like, "Wait a minute! I just walked by the McDonald's like four times today." Yeah. So great documentary. I'm yeah. not all the way through it yet. I just finished episode out. four of the six. Yeah, yeah it, totally check it out. I think if it had ended like, you know, Waco or David oh, Koresh, then everybody would know then, about it. Yeah, it would have been a little bit more. But it was not without its drama. Oh, no. Clearly. Um, so, so now you're going to tell me that we've got a Rajneeshi case? It's not really a Rajneeshi case. Oh, okay. It's a football case. Oh. It's also a, re- a religious case. It's a buffet case. <laughs> like a like food buffet? Yeah, because huh? we don't have enough buffet. I mean, there's never enough buffet. I love buffet, right? You love buffet. Yeah, I mean, I, it would never have it. 
but yeah. I, I can't tell you the last time I've actually been into a buffet restaurant. We've got a good place about you know, we, need to, we need to take a trip to Vegas you know the, and do a buffet and, and set up our mics in the buffet and just do an episode from there. That's a great idea. <laughs> I want to go. There's a buffet out on 82nd I want to try here okay. in town. Yeah. It's called the Super King Buffet. Okay. And it has Chinese, Japanese, and American cuisine. Oh, you know it's got to be the best of all three. I, how could it not be? And with a name like the Super King Buffet. All right, anyway, let's do it. We're all it. over it. Maybe a, a, a live live podcast. Maybe a, or yeah, or maybe a post hike lunch or something. Oh, that's a good idea. If yeah. we ever hike again. So this case starts. It's actually a couple of cases. That was, um, you may have heard that little pleasant tone. That was um, us getting tweeted at by Kyra. Hi, Kyra. Hi. Um, anyway, <laughs> this this is a case. It's been going around a lot. People have been reading about that. It is about the Cathedral Buffet in Ohio. Okay. You know that there's a Jello salad at that buffet. Right. Now, now I'm thinking back to our last episode and why maybe you were primed to talk about I was thinking, Jello salads in Ohio. I, I think I was. A group of people went to the Department of Labor and complained that they were not paid by the Cathedral Buffet. Well, why not? I mean, I assume that they they were not customers. No, they were working they were people at who worked the restaurant. There. Well, here's the deal on the Cathedral Buffet. The Department of Labor filed a lawsuit against the Cathedral Buffet. This is how we know about it. So they got the DOL's attention, and the DOL says, well, that's not right. If you're working at the buffet, you, you should probably get paid. The Cathedral Buffet is a for-profit business. It's, uh, not, it's not like a soup line for the homeless. This is a for-profit business. Okay. The sole shareholder of the Cathedral Buffet is the Grace Cathedral Church. I was going to ask if the cathedral, and you mentioned religion. Yeah. Yeah. They had a, so so basically the church owns this for-profit business, which is separately incorporated and runs as a buffet restaurant called the Cathedral Buffet. They have paid workers who work there. But the church that owns the buffet, its minister would ask the congregants to go and just pitch in at the restaurant and help out. Okay. It strikes me as not overly cool, but okay. It gets a little worse. According to the Department of Labor, the minister engaged in what they called spiritual coercion. Oh, so like if you don't go and work or not work, I'll put work in quotes and, right. and help out at the restaurant, you will go to hell. Correct. And if this is a head of a church with any sort of kind of authority in that regard, viewed as kind of like a prophet type, that could be very coercive for believers. Right. In fact, what what the um what the minister at the cathedral church said was that the restaurant is, quote, the Lord's Buffet, unquote. So where do you think that falls relative to the Super King Buffet? <laughs> I don't know. Super and King, 
That that sounds pretty good, but right. the Lord? Well, usually I guess a king is granted authority by God. Which means God's above God's the king. God's above the king. But this so. isn't just any king. This is the super king. Man, if they were like one across the corner from one another, I'm not sure which one I'd go to. Well, I mean, it's kind of like Pat's and Gino's cheesesteak places in Philly. Yeah. They're right across the street from each other. They're the two most famous. You go to both. You go to both. Yeah. You, you would go to How the Super King not? on Saturday and the Lord's, Lord's Buffet, Buffet on, on Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> there you go. We solved that problem. Yes. So the, the, the minister would call this the Lord's Buffet. He said that congregants were at risk of blaspheming. Which, according to him and according to Grace Cathedral, was an unforgivable sin, hence going to hell, if they didn't pitch in at the restaurant. That's interesting. That that would also make me think, like, did they have, like, thousands of people pitching in? Hard I don't to, know how hard, big a church it is. Hard to but. say. I have no idea how big the church is. wasn't included in the facts. Well, here's what the DOL said. The DOL said, look, there's all kinds of case law that says when you coerce people and don't pay them, we have a word for that. Do you know what that word is, Mark? Um, it's like forced labor. Yeah, there, there's a you could also call it. Sorry, I'm a little slow. OK, it's it's Sunday morning. There was a civil war fought over this. Oh, maybe? like slavery. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. I wasn't thinking that big. <laughs> Forced work, slavery. That's, that's fair. Maybe I should have gotten that, but I wasn't thinking quite that big. Indentured servitude, perhaps. Yes. But no, I mean, if you coerce people into, into working for you, that is frowned upon by the law. So, and, and perhaps, I, I mean, like, I, I, I'd also say, like, it's a little different, right? Like, nobody's rounding people up and saying you have to work here, they still have free choice whether to be an adherent to this religion or not in a sense. Right. right? Now, they would sense. not describe it that way, and that's not to say, right? Right. But, right, not, not to impugn anybody's religious beliefs in any way, but, right, if you, you can also have the choice of saying, if that's what my religious leader says, that sounds wrong to me, and I'm not going to do it. Right. So there is that choice out there that's a little different from slavery. Okay, so maybe it's not slavery, but it is potentially very, very coercive. It's very coercive. The Department of Labor went to a court in Ohio and they said, look, Judge, there is all kinds of case law out there, and there is, that says when you coerce somebody into working for you for free, that's not cool. They're not a volunteer and you shouldn't be able to volunteer at a for-profit restaurant. Right. The fact that it's for-profit makes yeah. a huge difference these, for me. These, these poor people should be paid their Right. For-profit companies do not generally – it's not generally acceptable to have volunteers. Right. Right. And these were not volunteers because they were being coerced. So it's even worse than that. Right. So dis- Northern District of Ohio Judge Benita Pearson – awarded $194,000 in back wages and another $194,000 in liquidated damages to the Department of Labor, who will then give it out to the employees. That makes total total sense sense to to you and me. Um, But not to Grace Cathedral Church or the Cathedral Buffet, who appealed this. And it went up to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the circuit that covers Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Yep. There's a little stripe right down the middle of America there. Yep. 
And the Sixth Circuit said, no, spiritual coercion is not a wage violation. I know, I'm dumbfounded. I mean, I could maybe get there, except for the fact that it's for profit. And that didn't really seem to bother the Sixth Circuit. They went behind the corporate veil, so to speak, to look at the shareholder and said, yeah, but the shareholder's their church. And when these people, and this is where the Sixth Circuit focused its analysis, they said, these people didn't have any expectation of getting paid. So the fact that they were spiritually coerced, threatened with eternal hellfire, that doesn't So if matter. there's no expectation, if it's about the expectation of being paid, what if I go ask a whole bunch of people to work for me for my for-profit company that's got nothing to do with a religion? Yeah, and you tell them And no. I tell them, you know, I'd really love your help. Please come work for me. Um, I don't think I can pay you. And then if somebody decides that, yes, I have some free time and nothing else to do and I don't care about money, I'll go do that. Right? I, I just That's just yeah. not something that happens. And I'd still be under wage laws. I'd still be required to be paying that person. You would think, right? Except, let me posit this. Can you think of any enormous enterprise nationwide, something that we all know and that many of us love, where most of the employees, or I should say they're not really employees at this point in time, but most of the people who contribute the most to that enterprise are going unpaid. I am speaking of nothing less than NCAA college football. Okay. So think about it. There is just, I'm just looking at division one right now, but there's, I believe at last count, 119 division one college football teams. There's also basketball, there's also volleyball and all that stuff, but none of them rake in the money that football does. Football usually supports an entire college's athletic program just by football, right? Yeah. You go to like the University of Michigan, where I went to law school, 117,000 people pack into a stadium every Saturday to watch the Wolverines lose. It's phenomenal. <laughs> NCAA football generates millions upon millions of dollars. And I'm not just talking ticket sales, but you look at TV rights, TV rights merchandising, yep. athletic apparel, marketing tie-ins, all that jazz. And while coaches get paid and athletic directors get paid and team doctors get paid, the people that are actually out there on the field that you and I pay our good money to watch don't get squat. They might, and not all of them, some of them might get a scholarship covering their tuition and their living expenses, which is often not even adequate to cover their actual living expenses. They don't get paid. Well, that bothers some people. It bothers a former USC linebacker by the name of Lamar Dawson, who filed a lawsuit against the Pac-12 which is the NCAA conference that runs up and down the West Coast. Oregon, yeah. Washington, California, and Arizona all have schools in the Pac-12. They were recently joined by Utah and Colorado. Colorado, yeah. 
Mr. Dawson is alleging that football players are actually employees because they are providing all of this free labor to the Pac-12 conference in violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act and various California labor laws. He is asking for pay for his hours worked and overtime. Just for football players? His case is just for football players. In fact, I think it's really just for Mr. Dawson. Um, so it's not a class action. If it's if he has if he intends to make this a class action, the class has not been certified yet. Okay, fair enough. A judge dismissed Mr. Dawson's case, saying there is no basis to consider college athletes to be employees. Mr. Dawson disagreed, and he appealed that to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. The Pac-12 just filed a brief in that case. They had already briefed various issues in the case, but they just filed a brief. Do you know why? Oh, well, I was assuming that they're that they're on the side of arguing that they are not employees. Right. Pac-12 doesn't want them to right. be employees. And they, they just or, it would be an amicus curiae kind of Brief. Well, no. Are they the, are they named as a defendant? They're, they're the defendant. The oh. Pac-12 is the defendant. Is the defendant as opposed to the university itself or anything? Right. Oh, interesting. He could have sued USC, and I'm not yeah, sure I'm not why sure. he did. Because I would, schools, well, I would argue the, that they were more likely to be, to be the, the employer. employer. Yeah. Okay. Course, sorry, I wasn't. I wasn't tracking. Of course, that the Pac-12 generates a ton of income off of all of this stuff anyway. No, the Pac-12 was all excited, and they submitted a special brief to the Ninth Circuit on Wednesday because that was right after the Cathedral Buffet case in the Sixth Circuit. And they said, look, if a minister can coerce his congregation into working for a for-profit buffet for free and that's okay, we can coerce college athletes into getting on the field and running around and doing like off-hours practice, which was part of um, Mr. Dawson's lawsuit, we can make them do all that stuff too. And it's okay that we have coerced them through various means. That, And if you've ever played any sort of sport with a nasty coach who yells at you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah. All of that is fair game because they have no expectation of getting paid when they went to go play college football. So that begs one particular question to you who has read the Sixth Circuit case. How much did the fact that it was a religious institution factor in to that holding as opposed to just the expectation of being paid? It factored in a fair amount, but not as much as you would think. Right. I mean, I picked up on that when you were talking about the case, saying that sounds like that was more of the the reason than the fact that it was a religious institution. Um, I would also note, of course, that in California, uh, the Sixth Circuit's ruling um, has no authority. Right. So the Ninth Circuit could look at that and be like, yeah, that's that's a great argument if you were in Ohio or Michigan or one of those states. Right. But you're not. And the Ninth Circuit wouldn't have ever ruled that. Or they could just, yeah, they could and simply I, my disagree. Guess is, knowing the Ninth Circuit, they would not have come to the same conclusion as the Sixth. My guess is they, they haven't ruled yet. Right. So they, well, they don't have the case in front. Right. I mean, so 
I guess they have this case in front of them now. The, so now they're the going to be case. pushed into, into ruling on the same subject. And my guess is that as Dennis and I both recoiled a bit at the rationale of the Sixth Circuit's case uh, or holding, the Ninth Circuit probably is not going to reach the same conclusion. Well, but on if that they point. do, that is huge. Oh, it's massive if they do. I just don't expect them to. Saying that, well, no, I'm, I'm just saying if the Ninth Circuit comes along and says, no, college athletes are employees and you oh, have to pay them. Well, oh, but, my God. But I, don't, but I think that there's still a path here, a very straightforward path to saying we don't agree with the Sixth Circuit and they're still not employees. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Right. So one does not imply the other or lead right. necessarily to the other. Because I would argue even without the Sixth Circuit case, right, I would argue that and you could argue both sides of this, of course, that college athletes are not employees. So and let's go back to the Sixth Circuit case here. Because sure. you asked a very important question. How much did the fact that this is a religious organization play into it? Yeah. And this is where it gets confusing. So the buffet. Yum. Yum. That is a for-profit enterprise. Yes. The church that owns the buffet is a tax-exempt, nonprofit religious organization. The pastor of the church directed the congregants to go to work for a for-profit enterprise. The Sixth Circuit said, well, it's okay for a religious leader to direct his congregants to go out and do what he thinks is a good thing. And he thought it was a good thing to go to work for this for-profit enterprise that ultimately benefits the church. Where I'm confused by this is that it's fine. In fact, it's, there's, some law, there's some laws around you know, exactly how you can do this. But if people choose, free of coercion, to go and volunteer for a nonprofit organization, that's fine, right? Yeah, sure. People but, do it all the time. Can you go and volunteer for a for-profit organization? I think I made the point earlier that generally, no. no. I can't volunteer to go to work for Starbucks. Right. If I do and Starbucks lets me go in, they have permitted or suffered me to do work. work. And under the FLSA and all the state laws, I'm entitled to my wages. I don't see how a minister can direct his congregation to go to work for a for-profit business and not get paid. That's the part that confuses me. If this was a soup kitchen, if this was a restaurant operated on a not-for-profit basis, I think it's fine. I, I, I think that's the early point we were making, right? And right. hearing the story is that the fact that it is for-profit is a problem here. I think that's right? a and it, sound, it sounds like the court's trying to say that because the the owners of that, right, the, the, the parent of that uh, buffet entity is the nonprofit church. Shouldn't matter. Right? That it's You're still disregarding the corporate structure here entirely. Oh, no, no. I, think I totally is... agree with that. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to grasp what they were saying. And that's why I kept asking, well, how much does the religious component of it or the fact that the parent company is a nonprofit factor into the decision? And it clearly factors in. But it doesn't factor in in a legally rational way. So my legal opinion is that this case is whack. Oh, totally whack. 
But I also am not sure, you know, does does the DOL, I don't know who's considered the plaintiff, the, the, the non-employees or the DOL or the EEOC. In that case, the, D, the, D, the Department of Labor was the actual plaintiff. They do, brought the case. Do they now appeal, appeal that up to the Supremes or was it a panel of the Sixth Circuit and try to go on bonk, which would mean in front of the entire Sixth Circuit? It was a panel. They could try to go on bonk. They could go up to the That's, Supreme Court. I would try to go on bonk first because I, I actually wouldn't have a whole lot of faith in how the Supreme Court would handle this well, right now. Well, and then either. the politics of this get interesting. Right. Because we have a president who really wants to appeal to the religious communities. Yes. And he could direct the Department of Labor through the Secretary of Labor not, not to, to pursue the case. the case. So Fascinating. I'll fascinating be very interesting to, interested to hear what happens with this. The, and also with the lawsuit in California – and that's where I see the big difference here in California is that even though they're a huge, they print money, NCAA football ultimately is a not-for-profit enterprise yeah. comprised of either state or private not-for-profit universities. As far as I know, there are no for-profit universities that have an NCAA team, maybe in Division Three. I don't know. Yeah, I've never know. heard of like University of Phoenix fielding. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Now, there's a lot of private schools, but they are formed sure. on a nonprofit basis like USC is. Right. Even though the S in USC is frequently spelled with a dollar sign. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. Yeah. If you're a UCLA fan, that's, that's one of the. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not. I'm completely agnostic in that thing. Well, that was a great story. Yeah. Interesting one. Yeah, super meaty legal stuff. Yeah, very meaty legal. Uh, on that note, I think we'll take a break. And we'll be right back. We're back. And we're bad. Super bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, half our listeners just like dropped off, right? There. Yeah, no, probably. Yeah, no problem. sorry. Uh, <laughs> but for those of you who stuck with us. Uh, I got a, a little bit of a story here. This comes from uh, our friend Eric Meyer, who oh, does the, thanks, employer, the Employer Handbook uh, blog. Um, so he reported on this earlier this week, and I'm co-opting it uh, for our purposes because um, it's a great story. And uh, Eric, consider this again uh, an invitation to please come on the podcast. Yeah, at some please, point. Eric. You're awesome. Um, which is more than I can say for your office furniture, Mark. I just pulled this nasty staple out of my thigh, thanks to your chair. Uh, yeah. I, for those of you who can't see, it's like, you know, this massive industrial staple that was embedded in my leg. You should look before you sit. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, I booby-trapped the office. Nothing a lawsuit can't fix. Right. Okay. Anyway. So, uh, so Eric... Uh, posted about this and I think it's it's a crazy story. Have you ever butt dialed someone? Um yes. Yeah. I am more frequently a butt dialee than a butt dialer. I would say the same is true for me. Um in fact I get butt dials from my wife pretty much like weekly. Um so yeah. Uh do you ever when somebody has butt dialed you? Yeah. Pick up and listen to what they're saying. Um, I have occasionally done that. Yes. 
Anything juicy? Sadly, no. Yeah, no. Usually it's just like I hear some noise going on in the background or like the radio's playing. and Yeah, it's usually really super boring. There's not people talking. But what if you heard somebody talking? Yeah. And they were talking about you. I'd listen. You would totally listen, wouldn't you? Yeah. What happens if it's one of your subordinates? I would listen doubly. And what if they are bad-mouthing you? Ooh, I'd be pissed. You would be. Wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. Right? Wouldn't you? Yeah, no, no, I wasn't setting that up like a, what, really? You would be? No, of course you would be. Yeah. Right? You'd be totally pissed. So that actually happened. So in this situation in Georgia, okay. an employee accidentally butt-dialed what appears to be his boss. <laughs> nice. Who picked up and was listening and probably being like, hello, hello, and like butt-dialed. He can't hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But the boss could hear everything. <laughs> and the employee so was talking to his wife about how much he hated his boss. Oh, my God. And what an ass he thought his boss was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a tool. So he comes to work the next day. There's a pink slip on his desk. Awkward, right? No, yeah. boss is like, resign or be fired. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. So we'll just call that a termination in either either sense whether it's a resignation or not but um the pocket dialer the butt dialer yeah then filed a lawsuit really alleging what? and his wife filed a lawsuit alleging that the boss invaded the butt dialer's privacy oh come on by listening to the pocket dialed conversation nope without consent nope they lose I have to think so, right? They lose. I just think Loser. it's funny. That's where it gets to be a weird case, right? Like, you really, there's, wow. you have, so somebody calls you and you realize that they didn't mean to call you. Have you have, the theory being you have invaded their privacy by listening when you know they didn't intend for you to hear it. Man. I mean, there's a, there's. Uh, uh, an analogy drawn here, which, uh, you know, is isn't that like somebody maybe in an office building across from yours who leaves the shades open while they're engaging in hanky panky? Yeah. Which is a known thing around Dennis's office. It it has happened on occasion, I understand. Yes. Um, I have yet to it, see There is a building that is very well reputed around town as having that happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you invaded somebody's privacy when they're doing that right in the window in front of you? When they don't intend you to be looking? Uh, I I have to say this is not my area of expertise, but I would kind of think no. Right? You you take the risk of what somebody might see through the window if you decide to do things in a room in front of a window. Is it different if I get my binoculars out? I mean, would it be different if you just got them out generally and were looking around? Oh, yeah, and you happened to catch that? I, I yeah, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I but I think if it's there in full view for everybody to see, it doesn't matter how you're looking at it. That would be my assessment of that. Yeah. Um, not to enable all the peeping toms out there, but right. um, I you know I think if you're climbing up a tree like in like in Back to the Future, <laughs> right, and with binoculars and trying to look in a window, or like a ladder, like right, John Belushi and Animal House, right, where you're there is theoretically a more reasonable expectation of privacy as opposed right. to a floor to ceiling, you know, glassed in room where the shades are open, yeah, and 
two people are going at it. Yeah. I think that that's totally uh, different, to and I think this is this. I'd liken this to that. So, and, it, and uh, even more so, though, in a butt dial situation, you're leaving a voicemail. You're actually like delivering something to the other person, right? Um, if if the if the person doesn't pick up the phone, right? Now I leave. do know the, the only other like the only other analogy I can draw on this is every now and then a lawyer will send another lawyer, usually an email, that they did not intend to send to that lawyer. And sometimes it might be opposing counsel and it could mm-hmm. include client communications. Mm-hmm. And the ethical laws, now this isn't an invasion of privacy issue, right. but the ethical rules that apply to lawyers say that you should delete that and not read it. Right. But that's just an ethical rule. It's but not you still the read basis it of a lawsuit. And you read it to the point where you oh, realize that it wasn't intended for you. I should probably you. not be reading this. And you stop. Right. And then you stop. And it's happened to me on several occasions where I've received such communications. Right. And I'll admit it's happened to me on several occasions where I sent those Yeah, I think it happens to all It of happens to everybody. Point. Right. And you can tell a lot about opposing counsel in a case about how they handle it. Yeah. And I will say speaking well of our profession for one moment, that in the vast majority of those instances, not that I have a huge sample size, but a big yeah. enough one, uh, they've been super cool about it. Yeah. And I even called it to their advantage. I even called opposing counsel an asshat in an email message that I inadvertently sent to the asshat opposing counsel. The same was said of me. I don't believe asshat was the word, but it maybe was a little stronger. And yeah. then it was accidentally sent to me. Oops. And I wrote back and I said, I don't think this was intended for me, notwithstanding what I could not avoid seeing in it. No sweat. Don't worry about it. And the, and the other attorney wrote back and said, wow, you, you just proved that you're not what I called you. <laughs> and we ended up having a really cordial relationship after that well, that's interesting. in litigating out this case. And we wow. got it resolved very quickly. Wow. Um, but Fascinating. showing a little sense of humor about those things goes yeah. a long way. But does that mean a butt dial is an invasion of privacy? No. I really don't think so. And if we hear that this case comes out opposite to how we think, um, I would super want to talk about it again. Where I thought this might go and what would be a more interesting legal issue is what if it had not been an employee calling his wife, but an employee talking to another employee about how they hate yes, their boss. That would raise some potential NLRA issues. Correct. Because that could be protected concerted activity under Section yes. 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. And then you got to be much more carefuler as the employer. Much more carefuler. Yes. Yes. But aside from that situation, no, you can, in fact, fire people for what they say to their spouse about how much they hate their boss. Whether they intended you to hear it or not. Yeah. But awesome. I thought that was a fun case. That was a good case. Thanks, Mark. All right. I did note Georgia. Yeah. Another Southern state. From the South. Yep. What would what would our podcast be without the South? I, I do not I don't know. know. I shudder to think. Yes. We'd be stuck with nothing but Ohio. Yeah. Jello salads. Anyway, we'll be right back. So our listeners have, I mean, our listeners are great. Don't take me wrong, but they're not that great at sending us good workplace stories to tell. That that's true. That could be a little better. They're they're really good at saying that they have great stories, 
And then, and then they don't follow through. No, we get all these yeah. like, oh God, I got the best story ever, and then we never hear from them. So, but we still love all of you, and we we love you guys. I did find something cool though that we could share with our listeners. Okay, so I don't know if you're familiar with Cracked.com. I've heard of it. I mean, I think that was something more like I'd read. Was it a magazine before, well, right? When we were kids, it was yeah, a magazine. I remember was, the magazine. I don't know like, that I've been to the website. It was like website. the poor man's mad magazine. Right. It was a, you right. know, they would take like the the writers that got fired from mad <laughs> and they would put out cracked. And it was never quite as good. But they actually have a really good online presence now. Okay. Um, it's, it's a good humor site. One of the articles they wrote they asked their readers to submit nightmare stories from your workplace. Oh. And they assembled some of them. Right up our alley here. They're all super short, and I just thought I would share some of them. Please. Um, And we'll we'll put a link to the article in the the show notes. Um, I like this one. A customer used our restroom for 20 minutes and rushed out of the store when finished. He crapped everywhere but in the toilet. Okay. That, no, that's fine. Dennis is making like, should I cut it off here? Um, I'm like, no, like that's that's yeah, that's not. I, like I mean, I, I mean, especially if you're the if you're the employee that has to deal with it. No, not good. An angry customer berated our staff and later gave us a one star Yelp review because our building didn't have electricity. Well, I it mean, was during a citywide blackout. <laughs> Context is everything. Yeah. I like this one a lot. And it's non-scatological. My boss used to tell us to wear specific colors on specific days. Uh There was no reason for this. It was just so that she knew we we were listening. (laughs) Okay. That's just weird. We don't get enough stories from morgues. From morgues morgues you know like where they take the dead people oh morgues yeah here's a morgue story i was like saying like what's a morgue m-o-r-g no m <laughs> i've been reading too much M-O-R-G-U-E. fantasy lately i think g-u-e <laughs> yes late one night a drowned john doe was brought into the morgue where i worked around midnight i started to hear tiny clanging noises coming from inside the drawer fearing a mistake had been made oh, i quickly no. unlocked it to find three huge angry crabs. Oh. Oh, I'm starting to think our jobs are really pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I've never had to deal with, you know, crabs on corpses. Like we all have crazy stories, but generally not corpses to deal with. Here's a bad boss. My ex-boss tried to fire me for reading during my unpaid break. He accused me of trying to mentally escape from work. It, but it's a break from work. <sighs> and just it. when you thought we were done with 17-year-old sex stories, when I was 17, I worked <laughs> as a hostess at a restaurant. My coworker, who was old enough to be my dad, told me I had really big boobs for my age. He didn't seem to get why that would offend and creep me out. I was too young and too intimidated to file a formal complaint, so I just up and quit after that night. Wow. That's too bad. She should have filed a complaint. 
And just to be clear, we 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 had talked about a seventeen-year-old story right if you're tuning in in the middle um but we 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 actually didn't air it so dennis is looking at me like i'm nuts yeah oh god that's right yeah no we 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 started to record a story and and it didn't really have enough of an ending so we we cut it out yeah (laughs) so um context is everything probably what we'll do with this segment um so i'll leave you on this one and then the you you can read the the others at your, at your leisure. My coworker always ate at his desk and never bothered to clean up the crumbs or wash the dishes after he was done eating. Okay. The rat infestation in our office lasted for about three months. Wow, that's awesome. It reminds me of Archer. Was there a rat infestation on Archer? No, but what does Mallory always say whenever there's food? Oh, you'll, the you'll, you'll attract mice, right? This, no, this is, how, this is how this you, is how get, you get, get rats. Or ants. Ants. That's right. So, could be ants. Could be rats. Yuck. Those were fun. Yeah. Thank you, Dennis. You're welcome. That tells me like we should do a whole episode that's just like, like let's forget about employment and let's just talk about customer stories. Oh, God, that would be good. If you have any good customer stories, send them our way. Stories at hwepodcast.com. All right. Check us out on Twitter at hwepodcast. Throw us your money on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash HWE. Search for Hostile Work Environment on Facebook. Yeah, which I've done a terrible job of updating. I love that you're doing this lately and and reciting all of the links because, like, for the first 20 episodes, you couldn't remember them. I couldn't remember them. And now it's just... You have drilled it into my memory. It's good. And hopefully I've drilled it into everybody who listens to us, their memories as well. Stories at hwepodcast.com. All right. Well, thanks. We will see you again in a week. Yeah. That was fun. That was fun. That was a great outro. We we totally need to figure out how to end these things. Yeah. We just kind of ramble on and, until we cut off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay.